This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week, cops, kink, and pride. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, you are listening to It's Been a Minute. I'm Sam Sanders, and uh, this is our first new episode of the show in June. And June is Pride Month, so happy Pride. We're going to talk about Pride in the first segment of the show this weekend. You know, Pride's going to be different this year like it was last year because of the pandemic. But, as always, there are already so many debates about how to do Pride right So this year, Pride organizers in New York City, they announced a ban on uniformed police officers and correction officers marching in groups at NYC Pride. And they want to keep this ban in place through 2025. And New York is just one of several cities that's been pushing for a while for a smaller police presence at Pride. You know, this decision to keep police officers out of Pride, it has been controversial. A few weeks ago, the New York Times editorial board, they issued this op-ed that called NYC Pride's decision to limit police a, quote, misstep. And in this piece, it quotes this queer police officer who said that not allowing her to wear her uniform at Pride, it was like putting her back in the closet. No one's being put back in the closet because to be a police officer is not a marginalized identity. And I don't think police have any place at Pride. That is writer and commentator Roxanne Gay. She ended up writing her own essay in The Times with an entirely opposite take. Roxanne says that she found the editorial board's piece while she was researching her own piece. I don't know that I expected to see it, but I wasn't surprised to see it because I find that the editorial board tends to skew centrist. And the centrism is such that it's going to try to appease all sides. Anyway, Roxanne Gay is going to talk about not just that debate over police at Pride, but also why everywhere it seems right now, there are these big public fights over who Pride is for, what Pride means, and who is really in charge of Pride. To me, it seems that these questions rarely get fully answered. But for the next few minutes, we will try. My argument was simply that we have to do something to just say, no, no cops, no cops at Pride. That said, if you're a cop, if that's your life choice and you want to march at Pride, you're welcome to do so out of uniform. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. You know, it's impossible to have this conversation without talking about the history of Pride itself. And I know for some listeners, they know this history very well. But for those who might not, I think it's important to remind them that the first Pride March was to mark the anniversary of a rebellion and a riot that was a resistance to police brutality against queer people. And when you know that history, it makes the presence of police at Pride, period, symbolize a lot more, right? Yeah, it does. It symbolizes sort of an endorsement of 
police and a welcoming and police are not welcome until they get themselves together and can police without brutality until they can reform themselves, which frankly they can't. So until they abolish themselves, they're not welcome at pride. And I don't think that's an unreasonable line to take given everything that they have done to us. I mean, since the start of queer people, (laughs) there has been a response from the state and from police to queerness. During the year of 1964, we arrested 3,000 homosexuals, and I am opposed as a matter of principle to making anything which is improper or immoral conspicuous. Criminalizing queer sexual behavior, um, over-patrolling queer spaces, you know... The folks at Stonewall were antagonized by police for a while before they pushed back and had that first riot. But I think a lot of folks might say pride has morphed into something very different since then. And the relationship between a lot of queer people and the police has become different as well. You know, Mm -hmm. Pride for me when I go now, it's full of corporate sponsors. It's full of straight parents bringing their kids. It feels a lot more like a block mm-hmm. party or a parade in many cities. No longer an uprising or a riot. Does the changing experience of pride itself also maybe change who gets to be included? Because it's different now. You know what I'm saying? Yes and no. I mean, clearly pride has become something of a mass cultural celebration. And frankly, I'm ambivalent about that. Tell me more. (laughs) I think that sometimes we yearn for mainstream approval too Mm. much. And Mm. this sort of everyone's welcome at pride dilutes what pride was about and who pride is for. Mm. Uh, And we see it in a lot of the ancillary discussions about who belongs at Pride, especially when it comes to suggesting that people in kinky communities should tone it down for Pride. Um, I I love kids. And I think it's wonderful that children (laughs) attend Pride. And I also think it's wonderful that our children appear at Pride so that they know, like, this is who we are. This is our community. You are never going to be alone. And if straight people want to come with their families, that's fine. But sometimes it has the feel that they don't even understand what they're celebrating. They just want to be at something that's bright and colorful and exuberant. Yeah. So I question that. I also find that when we get into these arguments about, like, what should the kids that come see or not see, it feels as if it is giving the power of decision-making about what is acceptable or not to people who pride wasn't even originally for. I mean, that's exactly the problem. I mean, it seems like straight people and corporations have taken over pride. You know, like people now say happy pride, which on the one hand, I am thrilled that pride has become so embedded in our culture that it is now like an actual sort of month long holiday. That's incredible. But I don't need to see Budweiser cans, you know, like that are colored like the rainbow and things like that. Can I say, though, Roxanne, I will always take the free vodka. I always will. (laughs) I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, there's nothing (laughs) wrong with that. There is no shame in that free vodka. All right. Like if we get swag as a side effect of having to deal with homophobia, then so be it. I'm fine with that. But I think that we can certainly admit that pride has become incredibly corporatized. And it has become incredibly interested 
in heterosexual approval. And that's getting us so far away from where we began. Well, and like this seems to be the existential debate about the gay rights, the queer rights movement. Is it about us doing us whatever those other folks do? Or is it about us becoming palatable to the mainstream? Right. I do want to go back to kink, though, because on top of this debate about whether police should be allowed to pride or not, there's also a debate online about whether kinksters and leather folks should be allowed at pride and that for me that seems like an even easier question to answer and the answer is well of course because they've always been there but i i want you to kind of talk about your thoughts on this debate and why it seems to be really hot as well this year i i think because pride is becoming more mainstream and people are recognizing that we're gaining mass cultural sanction. Nobody wants to threaten that. We don't want to threaten sort of the approval that we're currently getting. And so now a lot of queers are like, we are going to be on our best behavior by any means necessary. Yeah. And it's sad. It is sad. It's tiring. Yeah, it's (laughs) It's exactly. It's tiring. And the idea that we should remove the sex from our sexuality is offensive. It's almost like a lot of times when women talk about birth control, they're like, oh, I'm on birth control to regulate my period. I'm like, girl, I'm on birth control because I like to have sex myself. <laughs> I mean, I'm not speaking yeah. for myself. My birth control is flawless and it's called being a lesbian or I guess bisexual. <laughs> I'm married to a woman and it works every time. I love it. I swear. But, I, um, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, my wife has yet to get me pregnant, uh, though we've tried. <laughs> anyway, you know, I think we see a similar thing happening in the gay community where like it's the will and grace effect where mm. we're sort of cute and charming and harmless, but we don't actually have sex. And that's not true yeah for most of us and it's also not historical because all of this no stonewall itself the start of pride itself all of these things happened because homosexual activity was criminalized and so if you're now saying that at pride kink and leather and queer sexuality should be monitored or tamped down you're almost reinforcing the same kind of policing of our sexuality that was the root of the original riot. Yes. I, I don't know. It just feels like when there's this, the, the word normal tossed around a lot with these conversations about how much kink should be at Pride, you realize normal would, would never fit us in, even if we faked it. You know, you realize the idea of a nuclear family itself didn't have space for us ever from the start. And this idea that we need to now look better to the nuclear family, to the normals. It's like, we can never do that. And and, and like, they know it as well. Yeah. And yet we do this song and dance around it. I don't know. You're right. We do some, this song and dance around it. And it's so frustrating. It's so exhausting. And it's so unnecessary because it doesn't matter how well we dance. It's never, ever going to be something that people, like people who are determined to hate us are determined to hate us. And there's nothing we can do about that. And I think it's so important to recognize that so that we save ourselves some heartache and some frustration and some pain. Um, You know, like, let's just, let's save ourselves. How political, like capital P, do you think pride is for most people today? 
I don't think it's that political for most people in the same way that Christmas isn't that religious for most people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, it's disappointing in a sense, but in some ways, look how far we've come that we have an entire generation of queers that don't know why we celebrate pride. Mm. But I also think that it's upon us as, well, I speak for myself, as an older person in the community that we remind the young'uns. Like, they don't know what they don't know. That's why it's important to teach our history. I'm thinking about the activist Sylvia Rivera, who was booed in 1973 when she chastised the crowd at Pride for not helping trans people and queer people who were in jail or prison. And she said, you tell me to go and hide my tail between my legs. I will not put up with this S. I have been beaten. I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown into jail. I have lost my job. And you all treat me this way! Think about that! I do not believe in a revolution, but you all do. I believe in the gay power. I believe in us getting our rights, or else I will not be out there fighting for our rights. That's all I wanted to say to your people. And it's like, you know what? Pride is for her. Yes. And until we find some place in which those voices are the loudest in, in these conversations, I don't think we're there yet. Anywho, on that note, it's an honor to have talked with you. Likewise. I appreciate your mind and your writing and your thinking. And thank you again and happy Pride. Thank you. I hope you have a great celebration and enjoy some of that vodka. Yes, I most definitely <laughs> will. Vodka. Thanks, Roxanne. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks again to writer Roxanne Gay. Coming up, I talk with director Natalie Morales about her new movie, Plan B. It is a teen buddy comedy that is all about reproductive health. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teladochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. 
What happens to police officers who get caught stealing, lying, or tampering with evidence? Each week, we open up an internal affairs investigation that used to be secret to find out how well the police police themselves. Listen to On Our Watch, a podcast from NPR and KQED. Natalie Morales is the director of a new film on Hulu called Plan B. I liked it a lot. And we will get into the meat of that movie in just a bit. But when I first sat down to talk with Natalie, I had to begin by telling her how much I liked the music in the film. I got to start by saying that little trap Christian song that you have the two leads singing as they're road tripping. That was a bop. Isn't it good? I love that song. And so, like, one, I'm, like, a former Pentecostal, so I'm always happy when, like, religious stuff that is subversive kind of finds its way into secular pop culture. Yeah. And I felt like you were doing this on purpose because later on, you had creeds higher. And that is one of my favorite secret Christian songs. Listen, that was an expensive joke, but a joke that I was really insistent (laughs) on. Um, I uh, was raised really Catholic, and there are some themes in the movie that, you know, can be controversial in in Christian households. And there's a Christian character in the movie, and he's kind of a dork, but he's not a dork because he's Christian. And he also really talks about Christianity in this way that I wish I had heard when I was uh, a kid. Mm. And And that was really, really important to me. Yeah, yeah. We should say before we keep going, uh, a little synopsis description of Plan B without spoilers. Ooh, um, all right. I'll see what I can do. It's it's a movie about um, two girls in America's heartland in, in South Dakota who are, you know, um, high school girls and they're nerdy and they have a they throw a party and um, one of them loses their virginity and then the next morning pees out the condom. Lupe, I was peeing. And a condom fell out. What? And so they uh, they have to get the Plan B pill. But in many states in the United States, South Dakota being one of them, there's something called the conscience clause. I'm sorry, but I decline to offer you the Plan B pill. I have a nice day. What? Why? You can't do that. Uh, yes, I can. Any medical professional in the great state of South Dakota can refuse to sell birth control drugs to someone if it goes against their beliefs. And around here, it does. So they have to get to the one Planned Parenthood across the state because it's the only place they can see themselves getting access to this because in their small town, you know, there's no other pharmacies and everywhere around them, people feel the same way. So that sounds like a very serious uh, topic, but the movie itself is a big R-rated comedy. And, um, and I, you know, I feel like that's what, that's what our lives are like. It's, it's the, <laughs> the tragic and the comedic and the highs and lows. And, you know, as my producer, Matt, would say, the farts and hearts, you know, <laughs> that's the all farts. it is. It's, it's 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 both. It's all rolled into one. I love that. And I feel like Plan B is channeling that. Like, this movie is about, you know, contraception and access to health care for women. But it's also being compared to films like Superbad and Booksmart. And it's got these, you know, teenagers doing hijinks. Maybe someone does drugs. Some lessons are learned. Hilarity. But there's some heavy lifting there. And I wonder, like, to make both of those dynamics work in one film is very tough. How afraid were you of getting that balance right in the movie? 
You know, I, I, I wasn't afraid of it because, you know, those movies like Superbad and Booksmart and like American Pie and, you know, even Ferris Bueller, yeah. all the all the teen movies, especially the R-rated teen comedies that we're used to. I kind of think of them as like teen quest movies because there's always a quest. Yeah. Right? It's always like, let's oh, get yeah. alcohol. Hero's journey. Yeah, uh-huh. let's go to the cool party or let's go to whatever. And this is the same. It has a quest. It just the stakes happen to be a little bit realer, but it doesn't take away from the fact that they're still teenagers, that they're still having fun and that they still have the same, you know, hopes and dreams and desires and, you know, turn ons and and uh, horniness that teenagers have. You know, it doesn't take away from from all of that. So to me, it wasn't that difficult um, to, you know, keep that balance because I knew all the elements were there as long as we played it all real. I really admired how some things that are actually really tragic in our society you were able to poke fun at in just hilarious ways. And there's this one scene towards the top of the film that really sums up the sad way our culture sends so many mixed messages to teenagers about sex especially around the time a lot of them begin to think about having sex. And I'm talking about the scene where there's this video in a sex ed class where a woman's virginity is, like, compared to a car. Oh, that's your car? It's so used. Man, I can never sit in here because it looks like you gave rides to the entire football team. Oh, and what if somebody I know was giving a ride? Oh, hell no. I wish I knew that nobody would want something so damaged and ugly. I should have saved my car from my husband. But now, it's all used up. By the way, it's actually based on a real, uh, you know, abstinence video that uh, writers were shown in school and, and Wait, that exists. Really? If you, oh, yeah. I mean, the real video is about a sneaker. It's about a pair of used sneakers, which is even <laughs> somehow worse. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an abstinence-only education, which is still very common, prevalent in, in a lot of mm-hmm. American schools. And and by the way, in, in, the, um, in the press for this movie and in all the stuff that's come out afterwards – it's so telling um, that the education in this country is bad around sex because so many people believe that the Plan B pill is an abortion pill, which it's not. It's yeah. a contraceptive. So I've yeah. had people, adults, ask me about you know how it's an, an abortion movie, and it's not at all. Like You can't get pregnant immediately after you have sex. A Plan B pill would not work if you were pregnant. It is a contraceptive, just like you know the pill is. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and a lot of people don't know that. So mm-hmm. it, it's been eye opening for me um, to know that, you know, it's it's so it's such misinformation yeah. out there. Yeah. How bad was your sex ed growing up? Um, pretty, pretty terrible. I went to a Catholic <laughs> school, um, so I had no sex ed and just um, just, a, you know, a, a promise ring. <laughs> oh, my God. Abstinence only education. So it was it was not good. I, I remember when I was a kid, I was very inquisitive. And I think I stopped asking my mom questions once I was very, very embarrassed in class, because when I was a kid, I asked her how babies were born. And she was like, she gave me this answer which made perfect sense which she was like you know how your belly button has a knot in it and i was like yeah she's like they just untie the knot and take the baby out and i was like oh my god okay great right (laughs) so then i believed that till i was way too old like like i don't know seventh grade or something 
And wow. um, and in class, I was like, "Wait, what? It comes it comes out of what? <laughs> and, Down there? <laughs> yeah." And so then I never asked my mom about anything yeah. having yeah. to do with sex ever again. Oh my god! You know, there are so many lessons I think to take from this movie, and the one that I got, especially with how the film wraps up, is that one, the people who really love you. They love you more than you know. And two, because of that, you shouldn't be afraid to be honest with folks. That was a big takeaway yeah. for me. But I wonder, like, what do you hope is the biggest takeaway for folks that watch this movie? And is it a different message for different kinds of people? Yeah, I love that that's what you got. Like, I literally just got chills because oh, my um, goodness. that is one of those things that I wanted people to take away. I mean, I, I also want people to know what a real friendship looks like, you know, and feels like and acts like, you know, somebody who is there for you, like really there for you and really yeah. accepting of you. I think, you know, above all, I, I wanted to give people, um, especially teenagers, the license to to be themselves and know that that's good, that you are inherently good, even if you mess up or make mistakes or um, do anything that you're worthy of love and uh, affection and good things. I like that. Look at this yeah. Oprah Super Soul session. I, I'm, I'm so into it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this is an R-rated comedy. I should say there's, there's a blend of all of this uh, happening in there. Coming up, Natalie Morales plays Who Said That? with her friend and collaborator, Josh Rubin. This man. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, the automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares how cash can be part of a balanced savings strategy for investors. Oftentimes people think of their cash as the money they're using, but when there's a high rate environment, your cash can also be a form of savings. So savings can sit in your cash account and savings can sit in an investing account. And on average and over time, investments go up, but in a high interest rate environment, you can get a more predictable return in a high yield savings account. And so investors can choose both strategies, an investment strategy, as well as a cash strategy to both protect your principal because cash doesn't go down the way markets can, but also to earn a high yield. Learn more about high yield cash accounts at betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com slash NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to Viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside.
We're about to play a game with two guests, and I'm going to let them tell you who they are. Go ahead. Well, I'm Natalie Morales. I've been here if you've been listening to the show. And and my friend, <laughs> my very good friend is joining us. Oh, my goodness. What a pleasure to be here. I feel like Larry Mantle. I'm Josh Rubin, and um, I uh, I can't believe it. Josh is a, is a super talented actor, director, writer, whose uh, new movie, Werewolves Within, is coming out this summer. There we go. I like that. Friends supporting friends. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, after that lovely supporting moment, I'm going to pitch you two against each other in a combat to the death. Is that okay, cool? Great. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> okay. So every week on the show, we play a game called Who Said That? Ooh, Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? It's really quite Ooh, simple, but everyone takes it way too seriously. Uh, I share a quote from this week of news. You got to guess who said it. Uh, there are no buzzers. There are no timers. There are no scorekeepers because we are public radio and we're broke. So just yell the answer out when you have it. If you don't have it, I'll give you a bunch of hints. If you get the answer or not, it doesn't matter because it's just a game and there are no prizes. Shall we play? I, I Yeah, I have not paid attention to the news this week or any week uh, recently because I've okay. been trying to keep myself sane. So this will be fun. All right. Let's do the first quote. I'm going to just call it out. You can guess who said it. You can guess what I'm talking about. Just get close. Okay. Okay. Here's the quote. I've said for a long time, I think Emily and John have a pretend marriage for publicity. But I still Amy think Schumer. you should... Amy yeah. Schumer! Amy oh, Schumer! Yeah! Okay, wow. send this up for our listeners. What happened here? She said that about Krasinski and Blunt? Damn. I think she was joking. Oh, she was joking. It, wow. was a, it was a joke. But you never know with Amy Schumer. That's why I just could never get into her humor because I'm like, I don't, I can't, it's too much for me. Yeah. She also in the same post said that Emma Stone was a toxic person, <laughs> which is really great. <laughs> so let's set this up as best we can. Go ahead. Go ahead, Natalie. Oh, she was just making an Instagram post, I think, about her friends who had movies out, which are John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, who have A Quiet Place 2 out this weekend, and then also Cruella, which is Emma Stone. So that I happen, I did happen to see that. I did happen to see that. Uh, Natalie, you got that first point. Thank you. I'm very competitive. Josh, don't give up. I believe in you, Josh. Okay. All right. <laughs> you don't believe in yourself, sounds like. You smash mouth. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Here's the next quote. This was a viral video on the internet this week. The quote is, when I go over there to see what they're barking at, I'm like, that's a funny looking dog. I look it in the eyes and the first thing I think to do is push it. It's that woman who pushed the bear. Yeah. What? Josh, where you I at? I guess, listen. Josh, where you at? A woman pushed a bear? Natalie, take the point. Yeah. Please explain. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a, a video that went around this week where... Um, there's a bear, a really big bear and, and a cub on on the like perched on a wall of someone's uh, patio and all their dogs went outside to bark at it. And the woman whose dogs that was walked out, shoved the bear like with her bare hands, <laughs> pushed the bear off the wall to save her dogs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which was kind of phenomenal. It's amazing. So this was a 17 year old young woman named Haley Morinico. And in this viral video... As you said, Natalie, uh, a bear was screwing with her dogs, and she said, not on my watch. Honestly, I did not know it was a bear until right after I pushed it. And I was like, oh, my God, I just pushed a bear. And pushed that bear off a small, short ledge. The the bear is okay, but wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Would y'all ever push a bear? Probably not, although if it was to save my dog, yes. So I relate. 
I'd believe I'd believe that. I believe that Natalie would do a lot of things to save yeah. Taco the dog. Taco. I think for me, I, I we have Ruby the cat here at my <laughs> place, and uh, I think if a bear came near it, you know, I I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think about my dog Zora, who I love very much, but if a bear is up in her mix, I'm gonna have to give that to God. <laughs> She's had a full life. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Fair. Uh, here is our last quote. Oh. Josh, you can still actually. There's no way you can win, but I'm gonna just like this is yeah. This is no British Bake Off situation. Yeah. Like yeah, Natalie has won the technical and the and the signature. We can do this one for double points. At least you can tie. Okay, okay, let's do it. This is for twice the points. This is a thing that everyone's been talking about. I feel like, especially on Twitter. Here's a quote. In episode one, she's having sex on a couch. I said to my husband, "Am I okay with that?" Is it all right that I'm playing a middle-aged woman who is a grandmother who does really make a habit of having one-night stands? Oh, Kate Winslet at Mayor of Easttown. Yes! Yes! You get three points for that because you said it really enthusiastically. Oh, man. Get a hoagie and watch that show. It's great. So this was Kate Winslet in an interview uh, for the New York Times talking about her heroic run in the first season of HBO's Mayor of Easttown. This show, let me tell you, it dug yeah. into my bones. I'm excited to see it. I haven't watched it yet. Josh, tell Natalie what this show is without giving away spoilers. Kate Winslet plays Mayor, you know? She plays... Uh, That's Ma- her name? She, she that Yeah, Mayor. I think short for, for Marianne. And Jean Smart plays her Ooh, mom. Love Jean Smart. Oh, she's so good. She plays Fruit Ninja on an iPad. She's her mother, and they live in a house. So you get to see Gene Smart not only play Fruit Ninja on an iPad, but also endure the um, the weight of uh, her daughters, or dirters as they say in this part of uh, Pennsylvania, uh, trauma and tribulations as she's trying to solve a small-town murder here in, here in Easttown. And the accents are just an absolute mess. Uh, not, not, it, not, it's not on the actors. It's just like the accents are really like in some counties in, in this part of the country, in some they say water and some they say water, but they say hoagie. I mean, it's like uh, apparently it was really, really uh, difficult for them to uh, surmount the dialect. But Get the um, Philly accent, right? I, yeah. I've had to do that for some auditions and, and I, I think I gave up because I was like, no. I'd rather not be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Like, does anyone really say home, 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 home? Is that how they say it? Home. Home. On that note, I got to say, um, Natalie, you won. Oh, I won now again? Ah, I That feels unfair to Josh. I mean. I'm the worst referee. Oh, actually, okay, now my editor said that y'all tied. Okay. It's, I mean, everyone's a winner. With who said that, right? Yeah. Listeners, you can catch Natalie Morales' film Plan B on Hulu right now. Josh, tell our folks where to find you and watch you and see your work. Uh, Check out uh, Werewolves Within. It hits theaters June 25th and VOD July 2nd. I love it. The movies are back and I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Me too. I can't wait to see that in the movie theaters. Thank you so much. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week... Listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag, and they do. Let's hear a few of those submissions. Hi, Sam. This is Katie from Bellingham. The best part of my week was driving with my dad from Wyoming back to my home in Washington. We had two days in the car together, 
laughed a lot, got to hear his stories from growing up, and really had some awesome quality time together. Hi Sam, this is Rudy. And this past Monday, I became fully vaccinated. And on that same day, I found out I was accepted into an early career journalist workshop, which is very exciting because it could lead to something big for me. Hi Sam, this is Katie from Mobile, Alabama. The best thing that happened to me this week was my grandbaby, who is 10 months old, has started to whisper, thank you. And it's pretty amazing. Hi, Sam. The best part of my week this week was going to a memorial service for a dear co-worker friend that died at COVID six months ago. And we were able to all come together and just hug each other. And it was just so wonderful. Hi, Sam. This is Natasha. And the best part of my week was finally getting to see my dad, my stepmom and my siblings and get hugs i miss hugs thank you so much for this segment thanks so much for your show i listen every friday have a great week thanks to all those listeners you heard there katie h rudy katie b liz and natasha it is so heartwarming to hear our listeners talk about re-entering the world post-vaccination and seeing friends and loved ones again and doing the things that they missed I got to say, my favorite post-pandemic activity this week was going to a Dodgers game. I got to hang with some good people and sing all the baseball songs. Even though I don't know a thing about baseball, it was delightful. Go Dodgers! Listeners, don't forget, you can share the best part of your week with the show at any point throughout any week. Just record yourself and send that voice memo to me at samsanders at npr.org. Email samsanders at npr.org. All right, this week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Janae West, Andrea Gutierrez, Sylvie Douglas, Liam McBain, and Christina Kala. Our new intern is Manuela Lopez Restrepo. Welcome, Manuela. We are so happy to have you here. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. And our big boss is NPR Senior VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, till next time, be good to yourselves. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives, like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.